Hello and welcome to the Mission Recovery Podcast. My name is Maruf Ahmed and I'm the co-founder of Quit Genius, the world's leading digital clinic for substance addictions. I'm going to be speaking to inspiring individuals about their journey to addiction recovery. Recovery should be celebrated and the goal of Mission Recovery is to break down the stigma surrounding addictions and to empower others to live addiction-free lives. This is Mission Recovery. Welcome to episode three of the Mission Recovery podcast. In today's episode, I'm honored to be joined by former NFL and Denver Broncos player, Vance Johnson. Vance was an NFL superstar who spent 10 years with the Denver Broncos and played in three Super Bowls. He has an amazing story on how he recovered from his addictions to drugs and alcohol and has now transformed his life. And I can't wait for you all to hear it. Vance, thank you so much for being here. I can't tell you how excited I am. I was really anticipating and looking forward to joining you because what you're doing, not only in the, around the country, but around the world, is just offering hope to so many people. So I appreciate what you're doing with your platform to just offer hope and help to those who are struggling and those to let them know that there's a continuum of care that they need in this walk in their recovery. So thank you. Thank you so much, Vance. And I know we're going to get into some of the amazing work that you're doing with this uh, Vance Johnson Recovery Center. So I cannot wait for the listeners to hear about that. But just before we jump into your, your very powerful story, Vance, how have you been keeping? I've been keeping really well. In fact, you know, with 2020 especially, it kind of showed the light in the dark across the entire world who was struggling. People that were struggling struggled even more. People that were hoping they can hold on end up falling off. And the people that stayed strong were the ones who became the light. And so that's why I really appreciate the people that have really been transparent during this unprecedented season to show people that there's a way out of that darkness and the hell that they've had to go through with the addictions and with the domestic issues and with the trauma, the mental illness. I'm doing really well. And I'm really glad that I went through 2020 because that's who I am today. Absolutely. And Vance, I couldn't have put that better myself. Unfortunately, 2020 with folks in isolation and struggling, it brought to light and actually exacerbated things like addictions and substance addictions and mental health illnesses. And, you know, the work that many folks are doing to help support that now is, is really core to helping support those people get out of 2020 and, and hopefully approach um, a better 2021. You know, what's really interesting, and I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to add on that really quick, is there have been a number of uh, suicides that happened because of the pandemic and people being self-isolated. And even recently, there have been a, a number of professional athletes who have struggled to the point where one just recently was found dead in a hotel room. Another one that was a ball player uh, from a former NFL ball player. He was NFL. He ended up actually dying, too. So it's been really hard. That's why I'm here to break transparency. And I'm so excited to share my testimony with you. Yeah, absolutely, Vance. And, you know, the lockdown did uh, a number of unfortunately negative things to us, um, you know, being being stuck and being isolated, you know, exacerbated some of these problems. So really appreciate you sharing that, Vance. So Vance, you have a really moving story, and I'm looking forward to delving into it. But I wanted to start right from the beginning. So Vance, can you tell us a little bit about your childhood? Absolutely. So I'm originally from Trenton, New Jersey, if anybody knows where that is. That's on the East Coast, just outside of New York City. And how I came about being born in Trenton, New Jersey is my father was born in Trenton, New Jersey, and he actually ended up losing his father at a very young age. So he had six siblings 
but my father's dad was killed on a railroad track because he was building the railroad tracks that were being built back in the 40s and 50s. And he ended up getting killed. And so my father, unfortunately, was raised by the streets. He didn't have a father in his life. And being in the streets and being a minority back at that time, he was doing a lot of selling, using, talking about drugs, stealing, uh, manipulating, doing a lot of different things just to cope with life on life's terms. And unfortunately, being a part of a gang, my dad was one of the last gang members alive, and he was faced with some prison time because of all the domestic things that were happening. And so they told him, young man, we're going to give you an option. You're either going to go to prison for you know probably 20, 30 years, or we're going to give you an option to join the service. Now, that's something they allowed back in the 40s and 50s, believe it or not. So he opted to join the service, and he was stationed out in Arizona. Well, when he was out in Arizona, my dad was in the service, he was in the army. And after about six or seven months, they allowed these gentlemen to go off site. And my dad went to a concert and some of your listeners will understand and know who this person was. There was a guy by the name of James Brown back in the day. And my father went to a James Brown concert and he saw a young lady sitting inside of a car and he tapped on the window. And back then you couldn't push a button to get it down. You had to roll it down. So she rolls the window down and he introduces himself and says, hi, my name is Gene. She says, my name is Gene. So Gene and Gene are sitting there talking and he asked her, why aren't you inside at the concert? And she says, well, I'm only 15 years old and they're selling alcohol. So they won't allow me to go in. Well, my father was 20. And so he actually decided not to go in the concert and start talking to this young 15 year old. And I always tell young girls, if you're 15, don't talk to any 20 year old boys because they know a lot more than you. Anyway, he ends up going out to this young lady's uh, house where she worked and lived on a cotton yard farm where she picked cotton for a living. And he ended up going to her high school. She was a sophomore and he got on his knees at the high school gym floor and proposed to a 15 year old while she was a sophomore in high school. And she said, I'll marry you, but I got to ask my daddy. They go back home to my grandfather's house. They get married. My father misses the draft. He doesn't have to go to Vietnam. Well, he marries this young 15 year old and flies back to New Jersey. And nine months later, I was born. That is a crazy romance story, Vance. But I'm curious. How was it for your father after he moved back to New Jersey? Actually, my father went back to his old ways when he was in New Jersey with this young girl who had a young child. And unfortunately, she started getting really traumatized because she didn't know that he was a part of a gang. She didn't know that he was using and selling and getting in a lot of trouble. And so we went back and forth from Arizona to New Jersey several times until my sister was born. But it got to a point now where the trauma was so bad, my, my mother said, Maybe I can just get him out of here and get him out of this environment and he won't act like this anymore. So she said, if you want to be in me and these kids lives, you need to come back to Tucson, Arizona and live with us there because I can't do this with you anymore here. Well, we all moved out to Tucson, Arizona. And that leads me to say this. You could take the brother out of Trenton, but you can't take Trenton out the brother. So what that means is my father, just because he went to a whole new area of life to raise his children and be married he still had the trauma that he grew up in and around. And with that, he started to beat on my mother, my sister and I at our age now where we're starting to see these things. And so we're really traumatized as young children. And I hated my father growing up as a kid because I would watch him punch my mother in the face. I would watch him grab my mother by the hair. He would just be screaming and lying and just getting drunk and using drugs. And I forgot the pills they took back in the sixties. It was just such a nightmare that I hated this man growing up as a child. And I promised myself that I would not be like him growing when I grew up. 
Well, what I noticed was when I started to watch sports on television, my dad decided to be a coach. So now he was my coach. But I noticed whenever I did really good at sports, he beat on my mother less. And so to me, it was about saving my mom. So I just participated in sports. Well, unfortunately, even though he beat on her less, he still beat on her. And it got worse and worse. And as I started to grow up, it got really hard for me to deal and cope with him. And so then I started thinking, you know, I have to create an identity. I have to achieve an identity. And so I worked really hard because I wanted to be famous. I wanted to be successful. I wanted to be rich because to me, that meant that I would be somebody special and I'd be able to deal and cope on life with life on life's terms. Fonts, that sounds like it was really tough to grow up around. And it was great to see you make such a positive impact on your father. How did that desire to be successful help you in high school? By the time I got to high school, I was one of the best track athletes in the, in the United States of America. In fact, the world. I ended up actually going to the Pan American track and field games, and I won the gold medal in the long jump. Wow. I also was one of the best sprinters in college and in high school. When I went to college, I started to play football. I stayed close home to my mother. I didn't have my first drink or my first drug until I was 23 years old. So I'll fast forward. I went to the scouting combine and I beat Jerry Rice, who was one of the best wide receivers in the NFL. I beat Carl Lewis, who was one of the best, in fact, in the world for long jump. Mm. I beat him as a freshman in college in the long jump. So I was the NCAA championship. So again, I was trying to achieve an identity. I, because I didn't know how to be a boyfriend or a husband, I dated a couple girls in college and they both got pregnant, but I had dreams and goals. So I abandoned my children, two kids right away. Well, I got drafted in 1985 by the Denver Broncos. And when I landed in Denver, Colorado, as the plane was landing, the newspapers, when I got off the plane, all over the state of Colorado said, Broncos advance. So now I'm like, oh my God, I'm somebody special now. I've reached a goal. I'm not going to be like I was when I was growing up around the trauma that I grew up around, not even realizing that the things you grew up in and around are going to affect your life when you become an adult. Mm. When I got to the NFL, I was on the Denver Broncos team. I went to my fourth preseason game and I ended up dropping a punt at the end of the game and the San Francisco 49ers scored a touchdown and won. All the memories from my childhood came back to me. My father was really mean to me telling me, you know, you're not going to be crap when you grow up. You're a little short, little son of a gun. You're going to be a loser. You're just going to be digging holes for telephone poles and stop signs because you are a piece of crap. These are the things that I remembered when I was flying back into Denver, Colorado from San Francisco. Well, when I landed, the first thing I did was I found out that I was probably going to get cut. And that meant that my career was over with my first year in the NFL. Well, my friends ended up stopping by a liquor store on the, way to, on the way to practice that day because they were doing the cuts. And so I decided to have a drink. And do you know, I had never felt so good in my life after I had that drink. It was amazing. And I didn't get cut. So now I'm drinking alcohol because it's making me feel good. Mm. And then I got introduced to different prescription pills and different shots of morphine, codeine because I was having injuries. So I was feeling amazing. Then I got introduced to marijuana. So I'm living in a world of addiction, but because I thought this identity, I didn't have a problem. I didn't know it was going to lead to hell in my life. And I guess, Vance, how did the introduction of substances affect your life at that point? I started dating more and more women. I started getting in issues with women where I was cheating on women. I got married to one. Guys, I had three women pregnant at the same time when I was in the NFL. I lived and coped with life with using drugs and alcohol. 
even before games. And only because I was an athlete, by the time halftime came, I had ran all of these different things that were keeping me high out of my body. And so to me, again, I didn't have a problem. And I was only living for the fame so that when I got on the field, everybody was going crazy and cheering. Vance Johnson, we love you. 85,000 fans. But off the field, I was broken. I was Mm. literally broken. I was abusive to my wife. I found out that one of my wives, my first wife, had cheated on me with two of my teammates. They were having sex with her. I was so pissed off that I got high. I ran home. I ran upstairs and I grabbed her. I was screaming and yelling, guys. I ended up throwing her across the bed and she hit her head on the closet door and she fell on the ground and she wasn't breathing. And I freaked out and I was like, oh my God, I'm gonna go to prison. I'm gonna gonna go to prison. So I picked her up and I carried her into the bathroom and I was trying to revive her. And finally, guys, after dumping water in her face, she started to breathe. But do you know, I was even more pissed off after that. And so how do we cope with life whenever we deal with things that we can't control? We use. So I leaned even more on drugs, even more on alcohol, even more on even pornography. And I'm doing all these things behind the scenes. I'm getting in car accidents. I ended up actually crashing one time and they took me to the hospital in the ambulance. And when the doctor came in, he noticed that I was high off my butt. And he said, Mr. Johnson, the cops are here and I think they're going to arrest you. I said, sir, I'm so high and I'm a Denver Bronco. He was like, oh, my gosh, you're right. You're a Denver Bronco. Do you know they hid me by the morgue so the cops couldn't find me? They hid me by the morgue. So the cops ended up coming that very next morning and the doctor checked me out and saw that I was still kind of intoxicated, but I was at a point where I wouldn't be drunk driving. So the cops came, they arrested me, but they even knew who I was. And because I was a famous ball player back in the eighties, they didn't put a whole bunch of news out there in the press because they didn't want to affect the NFL. Mm. So 10 years in the NFL guys, three Super Bowls, failed suicide attempts. Here's one of my accidental suicide attempts. I don't know if you can see the cut, but I literally cut my arm because I just wanted to die. I tried to kill myself three different times when I was in the NFL. After my career, at 10 years in the NFL, I was done. I didn't want to play football anymore because I hated it. I hated people suing me, people wanting my money, me being in debt on the IRS, I would fly out to Las Vegas all the time and lose hundreds of thousands of dollars. I just hated my life. So when I walked away from the NFL and I didn't even get cut, the only way I was able to even cope with life then was by leaning even more on my addiction. Because when you climb a ladder and you get to the top and you get to the top and you're so excited because you're at the very top of life, that's exactly what it was like being in the NFL. And the only way to go is down. And I didn't go climbing down the ladder slowly. I jumped off. I jumped off into my addiction to the point, guys, where I would use and I would get more in relationships. I was into pornography. I was into so many pills because pills would help me wake up. Pills would help me go to sleep. Pills would help me get through the day. And mentally, I was out of my freaking mind. I can hardly even remember anything outside of using to cope with life on life's terms. One day I was moving to a different side of Colorado thinking I can leave my addiction. You can't leave your addiction because your addiction is in you. My oldest son came over to go to college and was spending time with me. He thanked me for being his father. He apologized that I was struggling so much. By this time, guys, I was already married seven times. I broke seven women's hearts. My oldest son said, Dad, I still love you, and I just want to be in your life. So I put him in college. 
Well, I wasn't a good father because I had abandoned all of my children. My son tried to reach out to me one day and he couldn't get a hold of me. Well, when he couldn't get a hold of me because his engine in his car had broken, he had to take his motorcycle across the mountain to see his mother because his grandfather just died of cancer. Guys, do you know my son got killed that night? Hmm. My son got ran over on his motorcycle and it was my fault. It was my fault that my son died. And how do we cope with life when we lose a loved one and we know it's our fault? We use more. I got so into drugs so heavily then that I couldn't even communicate with people anymore. And my goal was to get out of this life and basically die by using. For two years, getting in car accidents, getting pulled over, getting arrested, going to jail, I couldn't wait until I died. I called my mother one night and said, Mom, I'm going to die tonight. She rushes over and picks me up and rushes me to the hospital. By the time I walked inside the hospital door, I fell on the ground into a coma. I was in a coma for 28 days. On day 24, because my body was shutting down because of all the drugs and the alcohol and everything that I was putting inside of my body. On day 24, they said, Mr. Johnson, I'm sorry, Mr. Johnson to my father and Mrs. Johnson to my mom, your son is going to die and we need your family members to come and say goodbye to him. They put all of my kids on a conference call. They were like, F him, let him die. We hate him. My sister flew into town and took a deathbed picture of me. What they do is they take the ventilators off. They prop you up. They put oxygen in your nose and they put some wires on you so they can monitor you while your heart stops beating. Do you know on day four, obviously you see me right now, my eyes opened up. When my eyes opened up, I started to ask the nurse, can you tell me the next time I get lost upstairs, how I can get back down to my room? And she's like, what do you mean, Mr. Johnson? You've been in that bed for 28 days. I told her what was upstairs and she freaked out and said, that's up there, but you had not been out of that bed. Then my mother and father came to visit me. And I said, mom, did my ex-wife so-and-so came to visit me? My ex-wife so-and-so came to say goodbye? Did this pastor come to pray over me? They're like, Vance, what are you talking about? Yes, they were here, but you were in a coma. Guys, I saw them. I saw them in my coma. And that's when I started to realize that this life that we live in, in our flesh on this earth, is just a dressing room for eternity. Now, when I left the hospital, I actually stayed clean for about five months. In my mind, I went back to like when I was a child, I started working out hard. I started focusing on getting myself back in shape again. But it's just a matter of time because of the trauma that we've gone through in our life. If you don't get help with those things, you are going to relapse. And that's exactly what happened to me. I relapsed. I was driving through a canyon one day. I was screaming out to God because I thought I was a man of faith. And I was like, God, please help me. Where are you? I was screaming at the top of my lungs. Do you know my then seventh ex-wife who had left me reached out to the NFL? I was a million dollars in debt at the time. A former Tampa Bay Buccaneer by the name of Randy Grimes reached out to me and offered to get me into treatment free of charge. The Denver Broncos and the NFL were going to pay for me to go to treatment from my seventh ex-wife. I got on an airplane and I flew out to Florida to go to treatment. When I got there, I started to listen to people's stories and I started identifying my life. And I was like, wait a second, that sounds like my story. But I became famous and successful and rich. And you were just a homeless person. We all have a journey that we've traveled. And by breaking stigma as a former athlete, I want you all to know that we all have issues and problems that we have to cope and deal with. And addiction is a way that we try to get through life. And unfortunately, it's eventually going to kill us 
destroy our families and destroy our lives. So wow. by learning and understanding addiction, by knowing that mental illness is real, by studying my scriptures, because I was a believer, I knew I had a plan. And as I started to grow, I realized once I left that all I wanted to do for the rest of my life was plant seeds of sobriety to let people know that there's hope. And don't get me wrong. There are many roads to recovery. But what I started to realize is, like I mentioned earlier, this life being a dressing room for eternity, it's about what we do in this life that's going to show where we end up at after this life. Hmm. And so people who struggle with addiction, people who end up going to get help, people who are in their recovery, they need to understand this. What you had to go through, what you suffered with was actually a gift. I know that's going to be hard for you to hear, but it was a gift. Because what would be your testimony if it wasn't for what you had to go through? And now that you're getting clean, that you can go out and offer hope to others who are also suffering and struggling and committing suicide and families are breaking up. If they see and hear and know your story, if you're honest and transparent with them, you're going to show them a way out of the hell that they've had to live in for almost all of their lives. And you're going to save lives. And me, it's about saving souls now. Vance, that is just an incredible story. And I'm almost lost for words by the amount that you've gone through over the last few decades from, you know, your childhood and the difficulties there to the NFL career, where it looked like from the outside, everything is all glittering and everything is amazing. But inside you were suffering, right? And then everything around the addiction through the NFL career to everything beyond and everything that happened after retirement and the relationships that, that you struggled with. But then to turn that all around and do what you're doing now is amazing, Vance. And, and the extent of that story and the extent of the low that you were in and to get to the high that you're on now Honestly, huge kudos to you, Vance, because that's incredible. But one thing I wanted to almost dive into a little bit more detail was you talked about your troubled childhood, Vance. And I wanted to know that now, all those years passed, what impact do you think that childhood had on you throughout you know, your life? When I was in treatment, I had a chance to go to a whole different level of help when I was transparent about the problems I grew up in and around in the trauma that I was dealing with. And once I was, guys, I was 50 years old when I found out that the things that I dealt with is in my childhood, that little boy inside of me was still struggling. And I had to believe that. And so that's when I started to realize when I started talking to other people and I would start asking them about their life, I would hear little bits and pieces of things that happened when they were children that they were witness to or what they were involved in, whether they were sexually molested, whether they were beat on, whether they saw domestic violence, whether they saw addiction. And it kept, it, it, you know, it, it took us over when we grew up mm -hmm. because that's how we learned how to cope with life is by using and to try to get out of the feelings that we had to experience when we were children. And so that's why I know that mental health is one of the biggest problems that we have when it comes to people that are struggling with addiction. And that's what I suffer with the most. Absolutely. And uh, I think you've hit the nail on the head there. The fact that mental health is almost this silent killer. We don't speak about it enough, but it's killing so many people out there. Right. right. And, you know, together and with the work that you're doing, with the work that we're doing here at Quit Genius, we really want to try and break down that stigma and tackle it. And the other thing, uh, almost question that I had, Vance, as well, was so 
You mentioned that you started actually drinking and the first drink that you had was actually quite late in your life, in your 20s and age 23. So how did it progress from there and starting drinking late to what you described almost mid to the end of your career, where you're drinking a lot, you were taking pills and you were, like you said, an addict? Yeah, well, you know, when I had that first drink, guys, it was the most amazing feeling that I had because again, not drinking all the way to the age of 23 and having that first drink, it was, it did something to me physically and emotionally. And that I just felt like, wow, this is the way I can cope with everything. And I didn't even realize sometimes I would be so drunk that I wouldn't even remember what I did, but it was my only way to get out of me. And many who are listening right now, that's what we deal with. How do I get out of these emotions and feelings that I'm coping and dealing with? We lean on those pills. We lean on that alcohol. We lean on marijuana, whatever we can to get us out of ourselves because we don't know how to cope and deal with life because no one showed us how to. Mm. I guess, when did it spiral out of control? You talked about you know, the various lows that you had in your life, losing the Super Bowl in 1986, then obviously the, the issues that you had with some of the relationships that you had. And then finally, like almost like, the biggest one of all, so to speak, was in 2007 when you lost your son in a very tragic turn of events. So when did you feel as though your relationship with alcohol and drugs spiraled out of control? Well, I heard something growing up as a child about a functional alcoholic. And to me, I didn't have a clue what that meant, except I knew my father got up every day to go to work. I knew he came home every day and paid the bills. I knew he was my coach. But for some reason, he always drank every night for many, many hours. Well, during my career, I was a functional alcoholic. I was a functional user because I was still one of the best receivers and I was making touchdowns at the end of the game for the Broncos to win. And I was going to Super Bowls. That person doesn't have a problem. Yeah, you do. You're functional. And so, like I told you during my share, when I fell off that ladder after climbing the top of my career, falling off that ladder, my only way to cope then was by using. So then I was not functional anymore. I could only survive by using more drugs, more alcohol. I was taking 15, 16 pills a day just to cope with life on life's terms. And I was drinking alcohol because it took it to a whole nother level. So I was no longer functional. I could only even function by using. And unfortunately, like I said, many times, and I think it was a total of four times I ended up going to the hospital. And the fourth time was the time that I went into a coma but it was my only way to deal with life on life's terms was by using. Yeah, that's really interesting, the point on functional alcoholics. And I've heard it been thrown around a few times, but there's almost that like group of people that, like you said, from the outside, it doesn't, no one knows that they're uh, addicted to alcohol or addicted to some sort of pill because they're doing their job. And the only person that knows about it is either themselves or, you know, a very few close family and friends that are around them. And then you almost have like the category even before that of like risky drinkers or risky folks that are not currently addicted, but they're on the path to addiction. So they're drinking more than they should. They're potentially using some sort of substances and using drugs. And then they're the folks that we're really trying to target here, like the risky drinkers, the problem drinkers, as well as the folks that, you know, are on the other side of the spectrum and and really need some urgent support. But the risky and the functional drinkers are the ones that unfortunately don't get access to the support that they need because 
from the outside, people think they're fine when actually they're not. So that's really interesting that that point that you brought up there, Vance. That's why that's why I really appreciate your platform because you know a lot of people don't hear about these things unless they're in an inpatient program where they are around other people that are dealing with loved ones who are suffering with addiction. But because of your platform, you're able to reach people all across the world on social media and on different sites where they can hear this. And then all of a sudden they'll start thinking, Oh my God, that sounds like me. Mm. But they never would have heard that unless they would hear your show. I appreciate that Vance. And one question I had for you as, as well, Vance was, you talked about some of the negative effects of alcohol on your health, but how did alcohol and the drugs that you used affect your personal relationships and the difficulties that you had there? They kept my relationships destroyed because to me, the only way I could, man, I got to be transparent. Sometimes the only way I could get excited sexually was by taking different pills and drinking alcohol. I got to be transparent with you. It got to a point where the only way I can even deal or cope or, or move was by using drugs and alcohol. And unfortunately, it just destroyed my relationships. I became the biggest liar. I was the biggest cheater. I was abusive physically. I was ab- abusive verbally. And the promise I also made, because in steps eight and nine in your 12 steps, we're called to make amends with those that we have harmed. And that's the main thing that I really focus on these days is going to those who I have really destroyed their lives, not only the women that I was dating and women that I was married to, but the children that I abandoned to just say, I am so sorry. It was all my fault because I chose the addiction over you. Please forgive me. Mm, That's so powerful, Vance. So thank you for sharing that. And you've talked about a lot of the troubles that you faced, but what would you say, Vance, is your biggest regret? My biggest regret, that's a really good question, and and that's loaded. My biggest regret was not telling my father when I was a young man, Dad, will you show me how to be a man? Will you show me how to be a husband? And then I have another regret. So there are different levels. When I went to high school, I knew right from wrong. When When I went to college, I was trying to be something by being famous and successful. And so even though I knew right from wrong, I had a goal. And then my biggest, biggest regret was allowing all of my children to suffer and not being the dad that they needed in their lives. And because of those regrets, guys, what I do now is I share my story with transparency to husbands and wives who are wanting to hold on to their relationships, to young children or 20-year-olds who are mad at their parents because of the addictions by sharing with them, your mom and dad may have gone through some problems when they were young that caused them to have to use, and that's how they function in life. So it's about that transparency that's offering hope to people so they can see it's not your fault that your loved one is struggling. Mm -hmm. They're just taking it out on you. So if you can have some compassion and some love, sometimes tough love, you can help that person get the treatment that they need, which by the way, when we get off this podcast, I'm actually going to go pick somebody up and get them into treatment after this podcast. Amazing. No, that is just incredible work that you're doing. And I know we're going to touch on that, the work that you're doing with the community and also the work that you're doing with your platform and helping people recover. But because you've mentioned it, you've just had an incredible transformation, right? We've talked about the lows, but you've had an incredible transformation and a recovery journey to get to where you are. So huge congratulations on that, first of all, uh, Vance. But can you tell me a little bit about how that recovery journey all started? 
I love that. So how my recovery journey all started was, guys, I had to surrender myself to a higher power. And that's step one in the in the 12 steps. And in that road, I wanted to stay humble. And so I would not allow myself to be successful and rich anymore. I became a really good speaker when I first got clean. And people were inviting me all over the country to come and speak. Well, I could have gone from that million dollars in debt to being a millionaire again. But I knew what came with fame with me was a struggle. And so I said, I need to walk this thing out with humility. And that's the promise that I made. All I want to do is talk to people that are struggling. Instead of driving $100,000 cars, I started catching a bus to work. Instead of going to work for the NFL when I first got clean, I went back to the treatment program that got me clean and got a job there for minimum wage. So this was my journey. And there was the promise that I made because this right here, I don't know if you can see all these football cards. I got about 40 <laughs> cards out of myself on the wall. That is what I didn't want to go back to. So in this journey coming up now on seven years clean, do you know the NFL reached out to me and asked me if I would be a uniform inspector for the Las Vegas Raiders? And I accepted that job. So this year I was the uniform inspector for the Raiders and it had been what, almost 30 years since I've been on the football field, but you can't just go back to the way things were. So it took me seven years to get to a point where I felt comfortable enough because when I first did go back to the NFL to go to football games, when I got clean, they wanted to call me out on the field. And I remember the 85,000 people cheering for me when I played. Do you know when they sent me a text and said, Vance, okay, we want you to come out in the field. I went to the airport. I had to get away from it because there are triggers that would cause us to go back to using again. And to me, it's a journey. And that's why I talked about the ladder. It's a step, a step, a step, but you're walking your recovery never goes back down. It goes up forever. Yeah. And it's interesting that you talked about those, the triggers and almost the psychological part of the addiction, because it's triggers that then lead to these behaviors, which then become, you know, habits and you breaking that to overcome that psychological part of the addiction is very, very admirable. So um, kudos again to you, Vance, for doing that. And you talked let a little bit. One, let me add one more level to that. I was still a whore after I got clean too, by the way. I didn't know that I was addicted to sex. And after I got clean, I went back and got a job. Guys, I was in my car. And because I was in a whole different part of the country, I wasn't famous where girls can come and have sex with me. And so I was trying to find out where I could have sex at. I started to buy sex. And it took time as I started to grow by going to treatment where I was working at and still listening to the different stories that guys were going through, listening to therapists that I realized, Vance, you have problems with sex, with mm -hmm. pornography. And so it's a slow journey. And so some addictions we have to take time to get rid of after we get rid of that major addiction that kept us in bondage to the minor addictions. That's really interesting, actually, Vance, because the concept of folks that have one addiction being far more likely to have another addiction, whether it's another substance, whether it is something like sex, is, is actually something that we're trying to tackle because... Unfortunately, what actually happens in, in this current day and age is usually people just treat one type of addiction. You're in here, you're in rehab for your addiction to, to alcohol, and we're going to treat that. When actually we should take a step back, look at the person holistically and say, you know what, this person not only has an addiction to alcohol, he has an addiction to other drugs and he has uh, an addiction to sex. Let's treat him 
as a holistic person. So I really like that concept that you've just highlighted there, Vance. So appreciate you. Make sure you invite me to that podcast. I want to be on that one. (laughs) Absolutely, Vance. I I will do for sure. It's really commendable, Vance, how public you are about, you know, your addictions and the struggles that you faced. Do you mind just delving into a little bit more detail why you are so public and why you are so transparent about it? Because I lived a lie. And the only thing that people saw in my life, guys, was the edited version. I had so much crap and trauma that I dealt with in my childhood that I had to create something. In fact, I had a name by the time I landed in Denver, Colorado called The Vance because the one that I was wasn't strong enough emotionally to be able to make it in the league. So I came up with a name, The Vance. And so I I think I kind of went off a little bit on on your, your question, but this is the reason why I'm so transparent because I always lived a lie. Thank you so much for for sharing that, Vance. And I know now you're doing a ton of work with folks to help people recover. And you just talked about, you know, you're going to drop someone off to go and seek treatment. So Vance, do you mind just talking a little bit about the work that you're doing, both in the community and uh, across the US? So guys, 24 hours a day, I'm available. People reach out to me on my Facebook page all the time, which even just today, someone reached out. The other day, somebody reached out that I got into another program. It's not all just about the Vance Johnson Recovery Center. It's about saving your life no matter where you are in this country. In fact, because of you and what you guys do with your platform, no matter where you are in this world, there is help for you. So I ended up moving out to Las Vegas, Nevada, where I am the ambassador for Oglethorpe Inc., which is a company that owns mental illness and addiction hospitals around the country. And they wanted to put my name on a program called the Vance Johnson Recovery Center. And I'm so transparent that they even have a phone number, 888-82, which was my football number, Vance. People can call and reach me and I'll get them into treatment. This is what I promised that I was going to do to the guy that I believe in. And so this is my platform for the rest of my life. And this is where in Las Vegas, Nevada, that I lost everything. I got married four or five times and I was so afraid to come back here that I knew I had to be under somebody and authority over me so that I would believe them and then also be a part of a community which has happened. in 2020, shutting down was a good test for me because I'm not too far away from the Las Vegas Strip. And that's why I stayed involved with people who are in the recovery field and stayed in my church with pastors who were keeping over me. And then the Raiders reached out to me through the NFL and I'm their uniform inspector. So it's about getting people into treatment. And that's the reason why I want anybody that's suffering, that's struggling to reach out to me, reach out to any of your resources so that we can save lives. Amazing work, Vance. And thank you once again for all the hard work that you're doing there. And Vance, you've achieved so much in your life. You've been in three Super Bowls. You've had a glittering NFL career. But what would you say is the biggest achievement in your life? Well, this this used to be the biggest achievement in my life. That used to be right there, the biggest achievement in my life. For the listeners, that's NFL Broncos. Then I was inducted into the all-time Denver Broncos just recently. Wow. That was the biggest achievement in my life. But you know what? That was just the playing field that I had to learn how to endure on so that I can be on the playing field right now that I'll be doing for the rest of my life. And that's helping people that are needing to get help because they're struggling with some type of mental health problems that led them to an addiction or people who just struggle with addiction because of the trauma that they've grown up in and around. This is my playing field for the rest of my life. I love that, Vance. I love that. And I guess for the people that are out there that are suffering with some sort of addiction, What's your advice to them, Vance? My advice to them is they need to be transparent. They need to be broken. And they need to let people know, loved ones or a friend, that I'm struggling and I need help. 
And I'm not going to tell you necessarily that I'm going to get help, but I need to be honest with you and tell you that I'm hurting and that I know that I have a problem because that's the beginning. You have to hit rock bottom. And some people have a different rock bottom than others. Some people are just done and they're ready to get help. Others are just done and they're ready to die. And then what we need to do is be compassionate and loving and pay attention to that person that's struggling so that we can somehow, when they hit rock bottom, offer them the hope that they need. And in some cases, you need to close the door and say, I'm not going to help you until you come to me. And then I'll be willing to get you into the treatment that you need. There are many roads to recovery and there are many ways to be transparent. So that's what it's all about, guys. Transparency is transformation. Amazing. I love that slogan of transparency is transformation as well, Vance, because you're right. You need to be transparent with yourself to be able to seek the support that you need to overcome this. And first of all, realize that you have an addiction and then, you know, be on that journey to recovery and follow suit from many inspiring people like yourself that have done. Come on, brother. Preach it. I like it. You're inspiring, (laughs) man. I like this. (laughs) Oh, man. I've never been called inspiring before, but I, I aspire to be just half as inspiring as yourself, Vance. So, Vance, I just wanted to end by saying thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate you spending the time with me and sharing your incredible and powerful journey. Thank you, guys. I sure appreciate it. I love being on your show. It's amazing. Go save some lives. Thank you so much. The pleasure's all been mine, Vance. So that's it for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it and thank you for tuning in. You can find out more about Quit Genius on quitgenius.com and the podcast on missionrecoverypodcast.com. If you've enjoyed our content, I'd really appreciate if you could subscribe and consider leaving us a review. Thank you.